Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Jonah? We'll spend most of our time in the first chapter or two, but I'll be making several references to chapter 3 and 4. The book of Jonah. I want you to notice something in the first couple verses of chapter 1 and the first couple verses of chapter 3. Chapter 1 starts off, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Then Jonah did not obey the Lord. He went in a different direction. He went through several trials. In chapter 3 and verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. In other words, what God's saying is, Jonah, let's try this thing again. Okay? That's the difference between chapter 1 and chapter 3. Let's try this thing again. What happened is, and this is what we're going to study, I've entitled this message, 360 Degree Repentance. Jonah went through some trials... And God pointed his body towards Nineveh, but his heart was not pointed towards Nineveh. Matter of fact, I think it did a 360 degree and all the things that led him to running away was still there in chapter 3 and 4. Any of you that are biological parents and pretend you've got two little boys that are fighting, Billy and Bobby, and they're fighting, and you say, say they're sorry, and they go, you're sorry. Hug each other, they hug each other, and then you walk out of the room, and they're back at it again, right? We can forcibly point kids in the right direction. We, they can say the right things, they can do the right things, but it doesn't mean their heart is the same way. I'm picking on Jonah, I'm picking on Billy and Bobby, but I'm also looking at myself in the mirror. And this message gets over me, all over me in a lot of different ways. Amen? Okay. So that being said, let's give a little bit of the setting of the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah shows up in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Let me read that verse, and nearly all the rest of the references are going to come from Jonah. But I just want to give the context. Jonah's, the prophet, is mentioned here. And it says, he, this is Jeroboam II, he's the king of Israel. I think he's probably... Oh, I can't remember. I think he's either the 14th or the 15th king of Israel. And he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel. And he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. See, that's the same uh, son-father combination that we see in Jonah chapter 1. The prophet, which was in Gath-hefer. Okay? So let me try to get the setting here. <clears throat> Way up to the north, there was a country called Assyria. Now, they were strong, but they were gaining in strength. And below them is another country called Syria. Syria, they were pretty strong. And at that particular time, as Second Kings chapter 14, they were giving Israel all kinds of fits. Okay, that's the best way to describe it. And then what happens is, is uh, below it was Israel and below it was Judah. Now here's the capitals. The capital of Assyria is Nineveh. Got it? The capital of Syria is Damascus. The capital of Israel was Samaria. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. 
those cities might be helpful as we go through this book and we, 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 we kim things. Now, what's going to happen is, is God is going to command Jonah to go up to Nineveh. Now, Assyria is not yet challenging Israel. They're gaining power, but they soon will be a threat to Israel. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind, too. There's going to come a time where they're going to conquer Syria and Israel. Okay, so preaching conversion to Assyria is a good thing if for anything else, they are a people who threaten Israel. Got it? So if you're not doing it because you hate them, you might do it because you love yourself. Because they are a threat to Israel. Let's just... Kind of put that in context. Okay, with that being said, let's go back to our text. We're in Jonah chapter 1. We just read the introductory. God gave a command to Jonah to go and preach. Okay? Let me start reading in verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 8. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likened to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and what people art thou? So, we're going to look at Jonah's answer in just a second. I just want to make a few comments. The first thing is, is God's will was that he go preach to Nineveh, and Jonah let his heart overrule God's will. Got it? He was given a command to preach. I can think of one time where Peter was told to preach to Gentiles. And he said, not so, Lord. Now, that didn't take as much persuasion as Jonah needed persuading. But times come when preachers need a little nudge in who they're supposed to preach to. They get in their idea uh, a tunnel vision of, of what their ministry is. And when God gives them a direct command... Uh, they push against that, and that certainly was the case here. So he goes and he he disobeys the Lord, and he goes below deck and lays down and falls asleep. And it makes me think Jesus did that once upon a time too, right? The difference was when Jesus fell asleep, he was going in the right direction, and Jonah was not. So there's that. But my, my the thing that really strikes me here in chapter th- or chapter one is. Jonah really thought he could flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I find it interesting that even though he was trying to hide from the Lord, a storm found him. 
and a lot found him. And then we're going to read a little bit, a big fish found him. So his hiding wasn't very good, right? It's like when my little one year, my children, when they're one years old, they stand in the corner and put their hands over them. I'm hiding from you, Dad, because they've closed their eyes. And they think we can't see them, right? Well, that's exactly what Jonah is. He's like a one-year-old little kid. He really thinks he can hide from the Lord. But what we're going to see as we go forward is he's going to get swallowed in a second. And he's really going to think, I was cast out of thy sight. See, even though he's going through this trial, he still thinks God cannot see him. And the thing is, is when you think of this great big universe, let's say this back wall is the universe, and I put a little speck on there, and that's planet Earth, right? And then I go, all the water that's on planet Earth, and there's one whale down at the bottom of one of the oceans of that thing, and he can see through that whole universe, and he can see through that whole planet, and he can see through all the seas, and he can see all that, and he can see that one whale way down at the bottom, and inside the whale he can see Jonah. But there's something else he can see too. He can see Jonah, but he can go inside of Jonah, and he can see Jonah's heart also. See, we think we can hide that too. So we might do stuff at dark because we think God can't see us, but he can. And then we can put on a facade of do something, oh, superficially. Oh, look how holy I'm in. But he can see through that flesh and those actions and he can see the heart too. And the problem is, is with Jonah is we're going to see in chapter 2, God's going to work him and mold him and he's going to do the right things and he's going to say the right things. He's actually going to preach, but his heart is still wrong. We'll see that. Okay? So let's learn about Jonah's religion. Okay? The, 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 the sailors are saying, Jonah, uh, this lot fell on you. What's your story? What's going on? Who are you? Okay? Now, let's, let's, I'm, I'm going here. I'm still in Jonah 1 and verse 9. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. And I'm going, really? Yeah, really? I fear the Lord. Now, when we go from chapter 1 to chapter 2, he's going to fear the Lord. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to be fear getting caught. He's not fearing the Lord. He's going to be sorry he got caught. He's not sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes? I fear the Lord. We're going to find out that these heathens, these heathen sailors, these pagan sailors are going to fear God more than Jonah fears God. But he's the preacher. We're going to find that with the Ninevites. The pagans believe God more than the preacher. Are we ever like that? Yes. We can superficially act in a way that says no. But when God bear it and you get down there and you I really want to do this. Yes? Okay. All right, back to verse 9. I'm sorry. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven which hath made the sea and the dry land. That's a great testimony. Problem is, is the shoe leather doesn't have a great testimony, does it? Okay. 
Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He told them the whole story. He says, I'm a preacher of this God. And he gave me impairment to preach, and I didn't want to do it. Instead of going filling the preacher appointment, I took my travel money and I spent it on a ticket going in another direction. I'm going this way. And they said, oh, how can you do that? They were more afraid of God than he was. Yes. So what did you do? I went down and went to sleep. How, weren't you afraid? No. Okay. And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea so that the sea shall be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. I find it amazing. Jonah understood all the what's and why's of his predicament. Think about it. Instead of choosing praying, instead of choosing repentance, he chose death. He says, chunk me over the side. He didn't say, give me a second, I'll pray and I'll confess my sins and the first arrangements I can, I'll go back and obey the Lord and, and we'll be okay. No, that's not what he did. He chose death over praying and repentance. Have you ever got that tunnel vision? I want to do what I want. I don't care what happens. I want to do what I want to do. Verse 13. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought, and it was tempestuous against them. I, find these, I love these sailors. They say, we can't throw you overboard. That's murder. I can't, we can't do that. They were more interested in saving a life than Jonah was interested in saving 500,000 lives. Something's backwards there, isn't it? So, so the sailors tried to fix it. Chunking out everything over the board. They're rolling like crazy. They're working the mass. They're, and, and they're going backwards. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay upon us innocent blood for thou, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took Jonah up, cast him forth in the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. It's okay. As a very, we're at wit's end, we don't know what else to do. We don't want to kill this man. Because certainly to throw him over in this raging sea is instant death. And they chunked him over the side. God, please forgive us. We don't know what else to do. The man's telling us this is what we're supposed to do. We don't want to do it. We've tried everything else, but we're going to do it. But have mercy on us. The pagans had more sense than Jonah at this point in time. Amen? And they took, them all, they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the, seas, the, wind, the sea ceased to raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Compare the fearing of the Lord in verse 9 to the fearing of the Lord in verse 16. Who feared the Lord most, best, uh, most worshipfully? I don't know how you want to put that. It looks like the pagans did. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, this is what I want you to notice. 
God sent a big fish not to punish Jonah. He sent a big fish to deliver Jonah. Amen? Okay. And I find it interesting that when we go there, the first thing that's going to go in chapter 2 and verse 1, we're going to read that in a second, is Jonah is going to pray. And I go say, you knucklehead, why did it take 72 hours to pray? What's wrong with you? You see, the fish was sent not to save Jonah, it was to get the preacher to his preaching appointment. Lord, couldn't you send a helicopter? Wouldn't have smelled as bad. Well, if I sent a helicopter, you wouldn't have suffered for 72 days and you would finally wouldn't have prayed. You know, it's funny. The last thing a rebellious child wants to do to their father is talk to him. Right? Amen? I'm saying that because been there, done it. The last thing, when I'm in the middle of rebellion, the last thing I want to do is be around dad and be talking to him. Well, that's what Jonah, he's in the middle of a rebellion. And the last thing he wants to do is talk to God. But finally, after 72 hours, oh, there's a God, I can pray to him. That's what he's going to do. Okay? So, Jonah's religion is kind of strange. Right? I fear God. The one that made the universe, I fear him. Well, what kind of fear do you have? Right now, it's the fear of getting caught as opposed to the fear of reverencing him. Okay? My friends, that has got to be fixed before you can have true repentance. Jonah is going to get pointed in the right direction, but that attitude is not going to be fixed with the trials we're reading here in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's not what does it. Matter of fact... I don't even know if it happens in the book of Ruth. I'm sorry, the book of uh, Jonah, the book of Ruth, the book of Jonah. I don't even think it. Ha- I don't even think it's recorded. Our true conversion. I don't see it. Okay, he's fighting and kicking and screaming to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so let's go to chapter two. Let me read this one. It's a short chapter. It's only ten verses. Let me read the whole chapter. Okay, Jonah two verse one. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. After 72 hours, not during the storm, not on the deck when they were getting ready to throw him overside, not when he was in the water, swimming and flailing with all the so- not after the fish swallowed him, not when the fish was going down and up and down and he was getting seasick and had seaweed wrapped around his head and he smelled all those digestive juices. He's looking at a rib cage. From the inside, it was after 72 hours, he finally prayed. Okay? And I said, I cried by reason of my infirmities unto the Lord. He didn't say, I cried because I offended the Lord. I cried because I finally realized I was not in God's will. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I cried. And he heard me. Oh, God actually heard me down there. Okay, it's almost like he's surprised. Out of the belly of the hell, I cried I, and thou heardst my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep. Now, verse 3, who 
who cast Jonah into the deep? Did God really cast them in the deep? Well, if you're a literalist, you say the sailors did it, right? But who chose to be cast in the deep? Jonah did. He passed the praying and the repentance and the confession. Amen? He chose it. He chose it. Oh, I'm in this terrible fix. God, why did you put me in this terrible fix? You chose it. Amen? You chose it. In the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Joey, you still haven't figured it out. You were trying to hide from the presence of the Lord and a storm found you. A lot found you and a fish found you. And you think you're out of his sight? Right? What do you need? A sledgehammer? Yes? Yep. I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look toward thy holy temple. The waters compass me about. Even to the soul, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. That's the bottom of the, the sea. The earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. He finally got it. Right? It's kind of like that uh, prodigal son. When the prodigal son came, it says he came to himself. Amen? He's, he's in the pigsty. He's wrestling pigs for corn husks. And then finally after, maybe a big old fat pig stole a corn husk from him and he's not got oh, My dad's got food. He finally came to himself. Yet, I will look again to thy holy temple. I'm, where am I now? I'm on verse 6, verse 7. When my soul fainted with, within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Verse 9. This, this is where he sounds holy. Now again, he sounds holy. Amen? This is what he says. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Okay? Jonah is thinking, deliverance. I'm out of this stinky fish belly. I'm on dry land. No more slimy seaweed, seaweed around my head. This dampness, this smell, this just everything, just yeah, yuck, right? And he gets vomited out on the dry land. Boy, what a relief that would be. So he packs his bag, figuratively, and he heads towards Nineveh. Amen? Okay. My point in this whole message is, physically he's heading towards Nineveh, but there's so many things in his heart that is still not converted. And that's, my friends, what we have to guard ourselves against. Now, I've got a couple things that uh, I want to admit. Unfortunately, Noah's um, 
situation parallels mine in more ways than I care to admit. But I want to look at a few things here. Jonah's understanding of God's sovereignty still is lacking. That's not been fixed yet. I think Jonah's still sorry he got caught, not sorry. And then I also think that uh, it's one thing for men not to see things as God does. But it's another thing to get angry when God's ways don't line up with our ways. Amen? Matter of fact, that's a passage we're very, very familiar with in Isaiah 55, verse 8, 7 and 8. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You know what that's talking about? Can it, does anyone know what verse 7 is talking about? It's talking about pardoning people. It's not talking about some crazy thing like a fish swallowing you. It's not talking about a big storm. It's not talking about an economic challenge. It's not talking about a war. When God says, my ways are not your ways, it's talking about forgiving others. Can you imagine that? Well, what's Jonah doing? I don't want to preach to these people. They might repent. My ways are not your ways. Don't you understand? Do you understand how much of Jesus Christ's preaching was dealing with this very issue? When I go to the two prodigal sons, there's the older brother and the younger brother. What happened? Luke chapter 15. What happened? The old brother spent, uh, the younger brother spends all his, mo- his, his money inheritance on women and booze. Amen? And he comes back home and the older brother is angry that dad took him back. His older brother's Jonah. And you know what the father says? He says, my ways are not your ways. Isn't that what he says? And then I go to Luke 18 and those two people that come up to pray and the Pharisee says, oh, I'm so holy. I fast and I tithe and I, I, I do all these great things and I'm not like this slimy publican. And the publican says, I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, my ways are not your ways. Amen? Who was, who's, don't you understand that the Pharisee was Jonah? And then we go to Luke chapter, I think it's around chapter 7. And there's this Pharisee that invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And there, he's got this great big banquet. And as he's sitting down ready to the banquet, this prostitute comes up behind him, and starts washing Jesus' feet from behind and washes them with his tears and the hairs of her head. And there's old Simon. And he goes, that's disgusting. If you were any kind of God whatsoever, you wouldn't even let that woman touch you. And you know what God, Jesus said? My ways are not your ways. He's talking about pardoning. And here's Jonah. I don't want to preach to those people. Peter said the same thing in Acts chapter 10. I want you to go eat, clean and eat. Talking about going and preaching to the Gentiles. He said, not so, Lord. I'm not supposed to preach to those people. And Jesus said, my ways are not your ways. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. Okay? 
So let's, let's, let's keep on going. I really wanted to get to chapter 4. I'm just going to read a couple verses in 3. This is, this is one of these macro pictures of the book of Jonah. I know I'm flying through this book really, really fast. I know there's a couple heart clutches when you saw the four pages of notes this morning. I, I saw that from some of you, right? But I, tell, I just, since I heard these few comments on Wednesday afternoon, I have not been able to put down the book of Jonah because I kept seeing myself in it. Okay? Let's go to chapter 3. Just read a couple things. Verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city a three days journey. And Jonah began to enter the city into the day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. Think about that for a second. This is, this is one of the most amazing congregational reactions I've ever seen. Amen? We're talking about a city of 500,000 people, half a million people. An entire city believes God, repents, fasts from the greatest to the least, man and animal, take off their clothes, put on sackcloth, sit in ashes, fast from drink and... You know what's so amazing? Jonah was a preacher just walking through the motions. He didn't care about those people. He was completely divested of those people. We'll read about that later on. Matter of fact, what we're going to read about him is he's going to send up a front row seat and he's going to wait and it's like he's going to watch a hanging. He's, he's waiting for deliverance. He, could, he loved preaching the message, God's going to overthrow you. That was the message he preached. We don't see him praying for the people. We don't see him going in and ministering the people. He don't see him explaining people. God's going to overthrow you. These people believe the message despite the messenger. Right? It wasn't the preacher. And I find it real interesting. It said they didn't believe Jonah. It said they believed God. Do you understand? Well, what's Jonah's problem? The problem was Jonah was all about Jonah. I made a declaration you're going to be destroyed, and it didn't come to pass, and I'm going to look bad. Not yeehaw, 500,000 people repented. Amen? How can that be? I thought there was a conversion. I thought there was a repentance in chapter 2. No, the repentance, his body turned and he was going through the motions because he didn't want whale digestive juices sloshing around him anymore. But his heart hadn't changed. Amen? And again, I go back to you as anybody that's been a biological parent, you know when a kid's doing that. Amen? You know when your children's doing that. They're going through, I want the car keys this weekend and Okay, you've seen them do chores and grumbling and moaning and slamming things, you know, throw things around, right? Yeah, we've seen that, right? You, you know, the body's changed, but the heart hasn't. 
but I'm picking on our kids now. We do the same thing. Got to forgive them? 490 times? And he's sitting there and he goes, okay, 489. 490, okay, next time I can lay a boom on him, right? That's, that's how we are. The body's changed, but not the heart. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go and we see the conversion of entire city, but I want to go to chapter 4 because I want to show you that the heart has never changed. And that's the important lesson for us. Okay, chapter 4. We there? Okay, let me start reading in verse 1. Okay, so it says in verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What were you so mad about, Jonah? They responded to the message. He was hoping they didn't. He was hoping they didn't respond to it so he could see a hanging. He, he, he won, he got, he, he's, he's, he's going to set up his front row seat. He's going to get his booth. He's going to get his, some shade. He's going to sit there and he's going to watch the destruction and he just can't wait. Okay, when I read, he's going to pray. Here's a pray, prayer recorded in verse 2. Okay? Jesus Christ gave us a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Our Father, you know that one? Yeah, I want to know how many parts of that model prayer are in this prayer. You know what the answer is? Zero. Look at this prayer. And he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country, therefore I fled unto Tarshish? He's saying, back in chapter 1, you asked me to preach, and I ran from you, and you sent a storm, and you sent some lots, and you sent a fish, and you had me in there for 72 hours. And that's why I ran. Because I knew you were going to forgive these people. There was no repentance in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The first thing he does is he's justifying his rebellion back from chapter 1. That's why I ran. Because I knew this very thing was going to happen. His heart was not right. I wish I could do it. I wish I could. I'm getting too old. I wish I could jump up in the air, do a complete spin, and still face you and say, that's a 360 repentance. That was Jonah's repentance. He's facing the same way. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. (coughs) Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah, this is another knuckle-headed thing. Don't you understand that grace that you're complaining about is exactly what you're receiving right now because you're still alive? Amen? He's mad at the thing that's preserving him right now. Why do you think God sent the fish? (laughs) To save your, (laughs) that sorry preacher. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's got the death wish again, right? Remember in the ship? Instead of repenting, instead of praying, he says, kill me, throw me overboard. He's still got his death wish. That hadn't changed either. My ego's more important than my life. <clears throat> Golly, I'm thinking about this. See, Jonah thought everything was about him. Right? And when he disobeyed the Lord, do you realize 
500,000 people didn't get the message they needed to, be over, to save them from being overthrown. His disobedience affected others. Don't you realize when he disobeyed, there was some poor little old merchant that had a whole bunch of cargo on that ship and he lost everything because Jonah disobeyed? And don't you realize when he disobeyed, there was a whole bunch of sailors that went through chaos because of his disobedience? And I can even put one more layer on there. Assyria was a threat to Israel. And because he disobeyed, these Assyrians were not converted, which would be later a challenge or a threat to Israel. It's not about you, Jonah. I didn't send the fish to save you. Look at all the consequences of your disobedience. Do you realize when you disobey, there's ripples through your marriage? There's ripples through your family. There's ripples through your workplace. It's not about you. Amen? Therefore, I'll take my life, verse 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? And pardon my language, but basically Jonah's going to say, You're darn right I'm well to do angry. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made him there a booth and sat under it in the shadow that he might see what would come of the city. See, he's got a front row seat. Okay, let me see this destruction. I wonder if God's going to send lions or thunderbolts or fire, lightning. What's he going to send? I can't wait to see. Maybe the earth will open up like when the people were giving Moses a heart. This is going to be cool, right? Better than a sci-fi movie. Amen. Verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to lure him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. He wasn't exceedingly glad that 500,000 people repented. He was glad because he had a gourd that came up that gave him a little bit of shade. Talked about warp priorities. Amen? Amen. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. (laughs) He still thinks God can't see him. And God prepared a storm and a fish. Now he's preparing a gourd and a wind. God is still involved in Jonah's life. And because the gourd had perished... Uh, Jonah fainted and he wished himself to die and he said it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to him a second time, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. You're darn right I'm angry and I've got good reason to be angry. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are no more are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between right hand and left hand? 
when I read this, is the city was supposed to be about a half a million people. Of that half a million people, it looks like 120,000 plus were absolutely innocent. You can say some of those uh, Ninevites were um, um, wicked people, but this one says, of the 500,000 that repented, 120 of them was, was true people. Okay? They were ignorant of the, of the wickedness. And also much cattle. Okay? So, my point is, is one way I look at this message, I go, Jonah was a great preacher. Well, if God can use an ass to instruct a saint, <clears throat> he can use a preacher going through the motions. Okay? It's God, it's the message, it's not the preacher. Got it? Jonah was not the first religionist to be disappointed when a saint found God. We gave you the three examples about what Jesus was preaching against. God's all about forgiveness and restoration. Jonah was all about himself. So let me close. I want to go to Isaiah 55. Can you go to your Bibles there with me? Let's go back a little bit. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Let's read this passage that we quote out of context. Amen. I see some heads looking up when I said that. You know, that, that's, that's that soundbite preaching. Amen. We've got to be careful of soundbite preaching. I'm in Isaiah 55. Let me start reading at verse 6. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Because <clears throat> what Jesus was preaching to the prodigal sons, what he was preaching to those two people that were praying, what he was preaching to Simon, what he's preaching here, here or even to Peter in Acts 10, this is what he's preaching right here. He says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he was near. That's what the Ninevites did. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That's what the Ninevites did. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's what God did the Ninevites. Amen? And Jonah was mad. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I am a, this is what God's saying, I am a God about forgiveness and restoration. Jonah, what's your deal? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways th through your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've got to read 10 and 11 though, Okay. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Basically what he's saying, he's going to do a parallel between 10 and 11. And he says rain comes down, and when the rain comes down, plants bud, they make fruit, there's seeds, they get replanted, you have stuff to eat, that's the way it works. Well, that's how preaching works. Verse 11. So shall my word be goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, even if I have to use a no-account preacher to do it. <coughs> and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto, whereto I sent it. <coughs> that's exactly what happened in Jonah. God had a people. They were prepared. 
Isn't it great when God prepares a people when you go share the news? Amen? The problem is, we get in our mindset who that people is. Who those people are. Okay? That, language, that grammar's probably a little more user-friendly, huh? But God would have us share his message. So if you get a burden on your heart to share his word, to share the gospel, to share the good news, to share his commandment, to share his promises, to share his covenants, do it. But I don't know how to. I'm not good at it. He can use a donkey. He can use a preacher going through the motions. He can use a sincere, fumbling saint that stutters. That was Moses, right? It's his message. It's his audience. We need to obey him. May the Lord bless us as a people. All right? Thank you.